happened to the NFL? Welcome to the NFL, rookie. Hello and welcome to another episode of everyone's favorite rookie show, the DWZ Rookie Rundown. As always, I am your host, Dallas, and you can find me on Twitter at Salad Galore. All right, guys, it's still crunch time here. We are officially under one month going into the NFL draft at the end of April. Um, We've got a little over three weeks remaining at the time of this drop of the podcast. And so I feel like the next couple weeks is going to be a fun time to just kind of completely assess the class as a whole prior to the actual landing spots take a step back we've been diving pretty deep into straight up analysis and straight up individual players looking at traits and you end up finding yourself thinking you loving thinking that you love players thinking that oh wow i have him ranked here but i actually don't like him that much well what better exercise to do this week than to dive in and look at my combined top 12 rankings of this year's class and last year's class. So what I'm going to be doing is using my pre-draft rankings from last year that I still have um, compared to my current year rankings. I have a draft scaling system that I do. Um, I have basically 10 factors per player. They're a little bit different on each. Um, The quarterbacks have less factors, I will say, um, than the actual skill positions just because they're harder to evaluate. And I'm not an expert on the quarterbacks. I just I'm a tape guy more than anything. Um, but I'm going to be comparing my overall scores, my overall rankings of the players, and it is going to help open your guys' eyes and actually help open mine up a little bit to see where my falsities are or my hype train um, my hype train biases have been this offseason when I actually start to look at this year's class as compared to last year's class. It kind of is a good exercise to jump into to remind yourself not to fall into the Twitter scope or the constant conversation that people have, the rookie draft pick hype, and kind of take a step back as you're looking kind of more of in a redraft landscape for this year. Um, you're looking at players... And comparing their values, um, they're only about a year apart. Some of the players from last year are still going to be younger than some of the players from this year coming out just due to age-wise. So it's a good exercise just to fully get a scope of where these players actually truly rank in the scope of the young players in the NFL. So without further ado, we'll just hop into the quarterback rankings here. Um, The first overall quarterback, like I said, I'm going to do 12. So I'm talking about quite a few players. I'm going to try and keep it a little bit shorter um, than normal, um, just in my deep analysis, because I know I can talk for a while, as you guys know. Um, But number one prospect overall pre-draft rankings going into last year and compared to this class is Trevor Lawrence. Um, Prospect-wise, coming out of college, he still is the tippy-top of the mountain basically when you're comparing all of them he had all the intangibles all of the on-field production a national championship to boot the guy's a winner um, proven arm strength has the athleticism everything like that there's no one in this class that truly rivals all of the traits that he has Um, you have the upside of some specific traits that are better than some of what he has but people forget that he's a crazy good athlete as well he just doesn't run as much as a guy like malia willis does so i still have him higher my number two quarterback in the combined rankings is Mr. Justin Fields. Um, at the same basically scope of what you're looking at with Trevor Lawrence, I feel like I'm looking at with Justin Fields. It was hard for me to decipher between the one and two, and it wasn't until the landing spot where you really saw that both of them didn't land in an ideal 
landing spot. We kind of knew that based off of some of the teams that were higher up in the draft last year in draft pick capital wise. And so um, you have Justin Fields coming in. It was a weird season, so there's a lot of weird bias going on with both Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields based off of the weapons that they've added or have not added in the offseason. But looking just at a prospect standpoint, they're still the two best quarterbacks to come out in the last two years. Number three for me is Mr. Trey Lance. He was the third quarterback in my rankings last year, and he is still the third quarterback in the rankings of the combined. Um, The upside for him is on a similar vein to what we were seeing with a guy like Malik Willis, but I think he's a significantly better passer than what Malik Willis is at this stage in his career. And that was both of them coming out of a very small school um, look in Liberty and North Dakota State. So I still have uh, Lance higher than most Others probably will when you're combining these ranks, but Lance is sitting squarely at three, um, and it's kind of a clean slate. If he was coming out in this year's class, which is basically what he's doing, he'd probably be quarterback one for most people, and that's where he's at for me. Number four for me is where you get the first quarterback that you're looking at, and you see a guy from this year's class. So at my current state, um, sticking true to my guns, uh, nothing in the pre-draft process has helped deter me away from this guy. And it's Desmond Ritter is still my quarterback one in this class. When it comes to accolades, the athleticism, the throwing arm, everything like that, that's what you're looking for from a quarterback. He does not have the elite level athleticism, that high end ceiling, like a guy like Malik Willis does, but he's still higher than quite a few players are in both of these class. Um, From an athletic standpoint, he's right up there with a guy like Justin Fields when it comes to his overall speed and his height measurables, his arm strength, stuff like that. Four-year starter, true winner at the collegiate position. And yes, we have that bad Alabama tape in our heads, but that's not what he is as a prospect. Number five on my list is Malik Willis. Um, The athleticism is there. It's on full display. And yes, his arm is pretty, but I just have a lot of question marks when it comes to what he's going to be at the next level. And if we're going to get a high boom player or a high bust player, it's just hard to talk about. I don't really like talking about Malik Willis. I just want to see where he lands and see what he can do on the field at this point. Um, He's all anyone talks about right now. Number six at the quarterback position for me is sticking true to my pre-draft rankings from last year with Davis Mills at QB4. Um, Davis Mills coming out, um, similar kind of track record to what you saw from a guy like Mitchell Trubisky, um, except he did not get first-round draft capital. Um, They both were just one-year starters at their college of choice. Mills came out after pretty much like an injury-plagued couple of seasons prior to where he was not a true in true out QB starter for them just due to the graphic knee injuries that he had. Um, He has more mobility than people want to give him credit for, which is what the main concern was coming into the draft cycle last year. And he proved that he still has that mobility on the field last year. He's still higher for me than quite a few other quarterbacks from last class and this class. And we saw even what we're not really looking at in this exercise last year, for those of you that doubt it, he might've been the best quarterback on the field for any of the rookies last year. And it was on the worst team in the NFL. Um, So looking at QB seven, we are going to be skipping back to last year's class as well. We'll be going with Matt Jones, who was my QB five last year and is the QB seven in this year, just two guys eclipsing him. Um, He was once again, a one year starter on Alabama. People were concerned about the weapons and it being just the weapons, but we've saw that he can be an effective game manager when he has weapons around him. He was successful at the quarterback position and being a system quarterback last year without any true offensive receiving weapons. And so if you start to increase that, you'll see his overall fantasy production increase as well. My comp 
for him last year was Andy Dalton, and I think that's still a perfect comp for him in early career. If you start to get some true receiving weapons around him, I think you'll get those good games. If not, you're just going to kind of get a middling back-end QB2 or high-end QB3 at the position. QB number eight on the combined rankings for me is Mr. Zach Wilson. Uh, didn't like Zach Wilson last year. Didn't really like him this year. Didn't do anything to prove it. But going into the actual draft prospect portal, I guess is what you'll say, um, or the analysis period prior to the draft last year, um, I have him slightly higher than a guy that I do like quite a bit in Matt Corral, who's my spoiler, QB nine in this uh exercise but for me zach wilson had a little bit more athleticism than a guy like matt corral did had a little bit stronger of an arm and had the same accuracy concerns that matt corral has on his intermediate game so when i'm looking at them combined i wanted to put corral higher than zach wilson but looking at my true prior to the draft rankings i have to go with wilson above corral Going into Corral, um, we just want to see that he's healthy. I think his pro day showed that he is healthy. Um, for those of you that did watch it, it did look kind of ugly with some of the passes he, he was throwing. Um, I would not say that was a win of a pro day for most people. There's quite a few balls hitting the ground, specifically on the deep ball, which is what he was trying to show. But he does have a lot of the intangi uh, intangibles that people like when it comes to leadership and stuff like that. People want to run through a wall for him, apparently. So he still is soundly my QB3 in this year's class prior to the draft, and he's sitting right in the top 10 at QB9 for me. QB10 off the board for me is Mr. Kenny Pickett's small hands himself. Um, like I said, I don't equate him to having a very successful career going forward. I see him as his comp of being a guy like a like Bortles, like a off-brand Derek Carr type of player, and that's just not going to cut it for me at the quarterback position. Um, this is where we start to get in the range of guys that I really don't want on my team. Um, and you'll see that with the next three guys to round on my top 12. So Kenny Pickett is number 10 out of the quarterbacks over the last two classes. Um, based off of ranking wise, this may sound wild to some people who have him as QB one in this class, but I just don't see it with him. QB 11 between the combined classes for me is Mr. Sam Howell. Um, this is a high end athletic profile player with a good deep ball, but accuracy concerns and, and ability to actually just like operate in an offense is a little bit weird to me. Um, he can do what North Carolina wanted him to do, but it's a run heavy scheme. So he needs to go to the right offense to be effective. And I don't like projecting quarterbacks that need to be in a certain system to be good in the NFL. Number 12 is literally exactly what I just said, but at a worse level and a stone statue in the pocket. And Kyle Trask rounding out my top 12. I thought he was 100% a system quarterback last year that was just lifted up by elite weapons in the athleticism of Kadarius Toney and the monster that was Kyle Pitts that showed out in the bowl game last year and showed out with a complete lack of success in both the preseason and actual NFL season last year. But when it comes to ranking wise, he was my QB. I believe that would make it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in last year's class, but he's just sneaking into the top 12. When you're looking at the percentage of players in this year's class versus last year's class in my top 12, you'll see that it's slightly weighted towards last year's class in the quarterback position, and it's even more weighted that direction when you start. Sorry if you guys heard that. That was my dog uh, getting very disgruntled that I'm not paying attention to him. But uh, when you're looking at the percentages, like I said, uh, it's heavily weighted towards the top in last year's class. Quite a few of last year's class, I have quite a bit ranked higher with my score process than this year's 
quarterback class, but the middle tier is packed with players from this year's class. So you're looking at a slightly lesser grade than the top end guys from last year, which is exactly what we were concerned about and exactly where the questions come. So that's why the biggest difference between last year and this year at the quarterback position for me is that do the QB questions that we have of these guys outweigh their upside or is it vice versa? For me, I think the questions on a lot of the players outweigh their potential upside. So reaching up for them, even in a super flex draft, might be a little bit risky. I think it's safer to go with the positional players. And you'll see that and see the reason why as we start to branch out into the other players. So going into the running back position, we are going the number one overall prospect pretty much out of all the skill position players in my prior to the rank draft um, prior to the draft rankings last year and this year Najee Harris is the number one running back on the list um, true bruiser he could do pretty much everything for you a lot of the comps last year were to a guy like Matt Forte that type of scheme I think we showed that with the massive target volume and catching ability that he showed in the Pittsburgh offense I have questions going into this year as to what he's going to be without a guy that checks it down every five seconds like Big Ben was but from pure film analysis breakdown that I had in last year's class and this year's class he's still the number one running back prospect for me number two for me is Mr. Travis Etienne Uh, last year he was my number two running back I still think he is just slightly ahead of a guy named Brees Hall in this year's class who is my number three running back but when you're looking at Travis Etienne from a pure athletic standpoint he gained weight prior to the NFL draft at the combine still ran fast had one of the best collegiate profiles you could ever have as a running back and that is a lot of what we weigh our great film analysis and great lauding of Brees Hall on is that prolific profile I still think Etienne is a better overall prospect coming out and I'm excited to see what he can do now that he's not injured but from pure analysis prior to the draft I liked Etienne a little bit more than I like a guy like Brees Hall Number three, as I said, is Brees Hall, and the first guy from the 2022 class. Um, He showed out at the Combine, showed a lot of athletic measurables that I was unsure about, which allowed him to rise up my ranks to the running back one from some previous rankings that I had. But looking at where he's at right now, I think he's significantly better than quite a few guys remaining on this list outside of the guy that immediately follows him. I think they have potentially a very similar and identical kind of runway into the NFL. And I think that Brees Hall will be a down in, down out, three down player. It's just a, where's he going to land? And let's see how this goes type of situation, which I didn't care about when it came to a Najee Harris or a Travis Etienne last year. Number four for me is Mr. Javante Williams. Um, prior to the draft last year, I had the same concerns with Brees Hall, the true athleticism and the landing spot. I still think that I was a little bit less on Javante, and that's due to his running mate that he had in college. He didn't have as high of a collegiate um, career and profile as some of the other backs in last year's class, and that's why I was a little bit sketchy on him when comparing him to even his own backfield mate and Michael Carter. Javante is still solidly number four, and this is where I see the realistic tier break between the running backs. So these top four running backs, these ones are significantly better than a lot of the other ones that are on the list, just from a pure prospect standpoint. Um, but the next two are just a tier down for me, and those are following the rankings that I have for this year and last year. Uh, number five for me on the list is Kenneth Walker out of Michigan State. Kenneth Walker, um, he blew up this year. He's a one-year wonder, which is why I don't have him any higher than what he is. 
but he's shown pretty much everything that you need to see from a running back. His athletic profile is insane. This year at Michigan State, he probably was the best running back in the entire country this year, without a lot of doubt in that, even with Bryce, Brees Hall's amazing profile over his career. It's just with it being a one-year wonder, he's also going to be landing to pot, uh, landing spot dependent for me. I still think he's a three-down back. It's just what all can he do? Coming in at uh, running back five for me is my man, MC, Michael Carter. Uh, coming out of North Carolina, I was debating him versus Javante Williams. Um, pre-draft, I wasn't exactly sure where I had them, but looking at them, they were neck and neck as my RB3 and RB4 in last year's class. Could have been flip-flopped the entire time, so it was interesting. Um I, I still have him higher than quite a few of the guys in this year's class and quite a few guys in last year's class. He's just an overall prospect that's very good and quite a bit better on film and from an analytic standpoint than a lot of the guys in this class. Um, so again, if you're looking to cash in on one of the other running backs later or know someone that is looking to cash in on one of these running backs, I think going and acquiring a guy like Michael Carter for that same pick that someone may be using on some of the running backs just now below him might be advantageous for you. Going directly after Michael Carter is number seven on the running back list, and that is Isaiah Spiller out of Texas A&M. Spiller's speed concerned me, his athletic profile concerns me, and none of the testing that he's done prior to the draft is very helpful. I think he's a good instinctual runner, but I think he has athletic concerns at the next level, which is where you start to look at this overall downturn of players where you start to look at upside versus athleticism versus college production and it can concern you a little bit number eight for me on the running back list is another man from this year's class and it's my rb4 in this year's class it's mr brian robinson out of alabama um once again a one-year wonder similar to a guy like kenneth walker did everything that he needed to do can catch can run through the tackles he's a little bit upright which is the only concern that a lot of people have with his overall prospect but I like him a lot. It's really hard not to like him. And if he goes on day two, people are going to start skyrocketing them in their ranks post NFL draft. I'm just going to get on the train beforehand. Um, I've been on it all off season, not getting off now. RB nine for me is Mr. Pierre strong out of South Dakota state university. Um, Shane Hallam just announced earlier this week that he's officially moving him as RB five in his class. And that's actually exactly where I've had him for quite a few weeks now. Um, It's hard not to like him. I'm telling you, um, my comp for him is a guy like Tony Pollard. Some people say that they don't see it due to the athletic upside, but Pierre Strong is just as good of an athlete. Um, The only thing that... The only thing that Tony Pollard did at Memphis that was slightly better was he had a little bit more receiving production than a guy like Pierre Strong did, but it's not like he was out there running routes. It was a classic, I'm going to run a screen or a quick out, and then I'm going to use my athleticism to go down the field. And that's what you got from Pierre Strong when they decided to target him, but they weren't targeting him because he was just classically running for seven yards a carry every time he touched the ball and went over 1,400 yards two successive seasons. Um, He's a burner. He's a great guy, and he is shot up a cannon when he goes in between the lines. Um, If he gets drafted, capital of any kind on day two or early day three in a similar vein to my guy like Michael Carter. He's going to be my discount pickup everywhere in NFL drafts this year, and I have him higher than the remaining people on the list. Going on to running back 10, I have Kenneth Gainwell, also coming out of Memphis last year. Um, We were just talking about Tony Pollard, but uh, Kenneth Gainwell all around back was a weird analysis, and so there was a couple of asterisks next to his name. His overall size wasn't that great, and there was the fact that he took the entire COVID year, which kind of messed up the draft pro, uh, process last year for a lot of people. 
Um, he was solidly as my RB10. I still don't think he's a, uh, a true lead back just due to the size, which is what we saw. And I just don't think he's quite as good as a guy like Michael Carter. That's why I have him, the guys that could potentially be lead back slightly above him in Brian Robinson, Pierre Strong, and Isaiah Spiller. <clears throat> Going as my running back, 11 out of the two classes in this exercise is Kylan Hill. Um, so Kylan Hill is a guy that's pretty interesting. Um, he's buried on a very unfortunate depth chart right now behind Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, but I'm still intrigued in what he can do from all the videos and even the preseason. He still looked like he was arguably the fastest and most electric back that was in that backfield, which is saying something when you have two monster athletes in guys like Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. Um, he's an interesting prospect. Probably you could just throw a fifth round pick or a fourth, late fourth round rookie pick to a guy like Kylan Hill, and I would probably do that as opposed to taking some of the other running backs in this class just from an athletic profile standpoint, unless the guys behind him land in just an absolute banger of a spot post-draft. The 12th and final player in my top 12 running backs is Jerome Ford. Um, Jerome Ford out of Cincinnati, a transfer from Alabama. He's got the athletic track speed. His contact balance is just really bad when you're looking at him. Um, he has some passing catch work, which is good. He's a binary valid option, which is all I look for. And everyone on this list is a binary valid option at the running back position. The guys that don't have in my top 12 from this exercise are the guys that can't catch, the guys that don't have the size, or the guys that don't have the speed, basically. Um, so looking at these rankings, that rounds out the running back position. In the identical form, you're looking at 59% of the players being from last year's class, or just a little bit over half. It's a pretty good split. And this one's a little bit more spread out, so it's pretty even. It basically goes in two-player blocks of last year versus this year versus last year versus this year, which gives you pretty good tier breaks and understanding if you're trying to go for those trades for some of last year's running backs, or you want to flip some of this year's running or last year's running backs for picks that allow you to pick up these other running backs. This is how I have them ranked. And prior to the NFL draft, this is the drafts, basically the draft trades I would be making with pick version wise based off of ADP, assuming they get you know middle of the road landing spots. Uh, luckily, I don't have any drafts that I do prior to the NFL draft because I just am not about that sauce. But uh, this is just how my rankings basically shook up for the running back position. Going into the wide receiver position, this is, once again, I will stress pre-draft rankings, guys. Um, don't think about last year when you're looking at these players, but when it comes to just draft analysis in general, this is where I'm looking at the players. So number one overall, no shock to anyone, still Jamar Chase, still the best prospect of the last two years to come out of the wide receiver position. It was solidified in last year's NFL season, but I didn't think it was particularly close comparing even any of the players in this year's class to a guy like Jamar Chase. Number two for me, sticking strong, still going to be Rashad Bateman. Um, the guys in this year's class are pretty much going to be blocked in my middle rankings, which may be a little bit controversial and surprising to a lot of people. But Rashad Bateman's just still from an athletic standpoint, from a size standpoint, from a college production standpoint, breakout age, all the analytics, still solidly number two for me. His tape was still the best from his 2020, which was just nuts. <clears throat> Sorry, from his 2019. And even the games in 2020 when he was playing a different position, he just showed versatility. I still liked it. Um, wide receiver three for me in this exercise is still a guy from last year, and it is Devonta Smith. Elite. That's the word you can use to do elite. The size was the only concern that we had going in, and I wasn't going to knock him down very far in my rankings because of the size. I didn't get a lot of him because he went in that middle of the first range, which I was either really bad picks last year or really good picks last year. 
And so at that point, I didn't get a lot of Devonta Smith, but he is still solidly number three for me. And going on to number four, we're going to continue the trend from last year. I have Elijah Moore still as my wide receiver four prospect. So I have four guys from last year's class that are still better than any of the wide receivers in this year's class. <clears throat> Just based on the collegiate production, completely landing spot independent where I have my rankings. Elijah Moore was my darling last year and is still my darling. Love him. I just really hope that they don't add a large target hog into that Jets offense like they were attempting to with a Tyreek Hill. Um, He is a monster in the slot. I just hope that they play him the slot. And based off of what he showed his last year in college, he's still solidly number four for me. Now we enter my block of 2022, guys. Number five for me is Mr. Traylon Burks. Traylon Burks is an athletic freak and is still my wide receiver one in this year's class just due to raw ceiling overall. He can be used in a number of different ways, which is really alluring in this type of draft class. And when he is used as a true target hog with the speed and the size that he has, he can be an elite producer at the next level. That's where I think he overtops the guys that are behind him in my overall rankings when I was looking prior to draft in the NFL fits. <clears throat> when you're looking at number six, sticking true to my rankings right now, Chris Olave is still my wide receiver two. For those of you that have been listening for a while, he has been my wide receiver two for a while. He has the safest floor out of any wide receiver in this entire class. Uh, he will not fail. He will end up as a worst case scenario, most likely a back end wide receiver two in the NFL. Um, I know there's no such thing as like a bulletproof prospect. Um, there's a good podcast out there. I'm trying to remember the guy who does it, but bulletproof prospects, basically. Um, no one's technically bulletproof, but he's pretty dang close. Um, it's hard to see him failing. He's got enough size. He's got elite speed. He's got elite route running. He's got elite hands. Everything about him is elite except for his overall size. And people like to basically crap on him and be like, well, he didn't dominate. He didn't get a large target share. I was like, he was over 25% pretty much every single year of his career outside of his rookie year. If you take out his rookie year stats specifically, he becomes one of the best prospects we've seen over the last you know decade at the wide receiver position. <clears throat> Number three is his running mate, Garrett Wilson. So this is the third guy in a row from last year's, uh, this year's class. He comes in at wide receiver seven overall for me, and he has a higher upside than a guy like Chris Olave just due to his contested catching is what I would say. He's just not as polished. Um, people can compare the numbers and say that he had a better year this year, but when it comes to touchdown production and overall catch rate and QB, QB ranking when targeted, Olave still outranks him. I still like Olave's floor quite a bit better than Garrett Wilson. And my philosophy, again, in the first round is I don't like to miss on prospects <clears throat> when I'm taking them. Uh, I like the safe floor prospects more than anything because you can't waste your first-round pick. If you're wasting first-round picks, you're never going to succeed in Dynasty. Number eight for me in the total ranks, I understand that I'm going to get kickback on this one because he hasn't come off, and I'm sure he... Someone's been cursing out there talking about it, but it's Jalen Waddle. Um, for the, all of you that have been listening since last year, I don't like projection. I don't like projecting at the next level. I don't like projecting if I haven't seen production on the field at an elite level, if I haven't seen a breakout at an elite level. And I didn't see that with Jalen Waddle. He was a lot of tools. He was a very fascinating player to watch, but he never truly broke out at Alabama. He never had a season like a guy like Devonta Smith he never had a season like a guy like Jerry Judy had. He had never had a season like a guy like Calvin Ridley had. <clears throat> so when you're trying to elevate him over these guys with proven production, 
in the NCAA football on teams in the SEC, in the ACC, in the Big Ten, in the Big 12 even. I just couldn't do it. And yes, I understand. Yeah, recency bias. It's fun. 2020 reverse vision would be wonderful. I'd have them a lot higher ranked after um, probably even this next season where we see some of these guys from the 2022 class actually land and see what their production is the rookie year. Obviously, he'd be higher because he broke out his rookie season, but as draft prospects, I don't like projecting and I'm willing to miss and mitigate my risk. That's how I didn't take first round flyers on guys like Henry Ruggs. I didn't take flyers on a guy like Jalen Waddle, which yeah, may bite me, but I was able to take a higher floor player in Devonta Smith, which, yeah, he may not have the ceiling of the wide receiver 12, but guess what? He's got the safe floor of where he finished at wide receiver 18, so it's not that far off, doesn't have quite as much upside, and I didn't miss on the picks. So that's just my draft philosophy, and that's why a guy like Waddle with not a lot of collegiate production, similar to the guy immediately behind him, <clears throat> that is why I have them ranked where they are. Um, coming behind him at number nine wide receiver in this exercise is... Jamison Williams. This is a one-year wonder, and I just have issues with him not being able to break out at Ohio State. I understand people can give excuses all they want, but it was a one-year wonder, and he's coming off an injury. Um, the next couple guys are pretty much just one-year wonders with amazing athletic profiles and amazing upside, but again, I don't like projecting at the next level. So looking at Jamison Williams, if he gets a good landing spot, if he's all healthy and he plays the entire season next year, <clears throat> he's going to be higher, obviously, after the post-draft rankings. But if he gets a bad situation or goes into a crowded room or starts to fall in the draft and makes it out of the first round, I start to have concerns about it that some people might be concerned as well. Um, going on to number 10, I have George Pickens in this wide receiver group. <clears throat> this is an injury-plagued guy. Never truly had a dominant statistical season. Again, don't like projecting a ton. But what you saw on the field every time he was healthy enough to be on the field was elite production with less than elite quarterback play throwing him the ball. He's a fun watch. He's a fun tape guy to watch. And his overall athletic metrics are pretty elite for his size. So George Pickens is sitting at number 10 for me, ahead of a guy <clears throat> who blew up the combine last year in Terrace Marshall at 11. Terrace Marshall, for me, last year was my, uh, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. He was my wide receiver 6 last year. Um, huge flame out, but from a draft analysis Prior to the NFL draft, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at a guy with a ton of upside, a ton of athletic ability, and this is a reason you don't reach for athletic ability when <clears throat> he doesn't have a huge dominant rating multiple years in the past. Um, the thing with Terrace Marshall that is like confusing for me is that he checked almost every box last year. Um, he had multiple years of production in a crowded room, in an elite system, saw a large target volume share, was producing on the elite level even in a season when – a guy like Justin Jefferson was stealing the spotlight, had double-digit touchdowns two years in a row, was absolutely blowing people away during that shortened COVID year. <clears throat> then he went out a little bit early, um, earlier than some expected him to, came out, and then just flamed out with Carolina for some reason. We can blame the quarterback position, whatever you want to do last year, but he's the one draft bust that doesn't really make sense in the last couple of years and proves to you that you can be as good at this game as you think you are, and you could still be bad. <laughs> so going at the wide receiver 12 and rounding up wide receiver position is Khalil Shakir. My darling from this class, he is this year's Elijah Moore to me. Um, he's just very, 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 very solid at everything he can do. And again, you don't want to really miss 
in the early second, late second round. Um, if I am looking for a wide receiver or I'm stacked at running back, he's the guy I'm going for. I know I tout time and time again, like a lot of the guys on the DWZ network, that you do not want to be reaching <clears throat> for wide receivers late, and you'd rather just pound the running back position, which is the smarter thing to do. He's just a very safe wide receiver. Uh, again, just like a floor with Alave, I don't think it's the same height as Alave, but it's really hard seeing him not being a productive flex player at the next level as long as he gets draft capital. And so that's where he's at my ranking. So when you're looking at the splits for this one, <clears throat> you are looking at exactly a 50-50 split. Six wide receivers from last year's class, six wide receivers from this year's class. This one was kind of eye-opening. Uh, we're forgetting quite a few of the 2021 studs, in my opinion. Uh, when I was going through my draft scores and looking at the analysis uh, prior to the NFL draft, prior to landing spots, obviously <clears throat> that asterisk will be with all the rankings on this episode. Like I said, I had four wide receivers before I even got to the first wide receiver that I like in this class, which is saying something. Um, a lot of people are just gaga over some of the wide receivers, but they're forgetting that there's quite a few good wide receivers in last year's crop that are just kind of being forgotten about or slept on. And the fact is you can realistically get some of these guys like Devonta Smith, like an Elijah Moore for the same picks you'll be using on some of the guys even further down the list, like a Jamison Williams, like a George Pickens. You'll be able to get those guys plus, like you'll basically be able to get those guys plus for a guy like Elijah Moore in a trade. So it's just something to consider. If you like these guys a ton more than you like some of the guys from last year's class, I would just <clears throat> warn you for paying up for this year's wide receiver class is how I would phrase this. Um, when I'm just looking at the breakdown and looking at my scores and looking at the prospects in general, even some of the landing spots are still good. Um, I just wouldn't get wrapped up in last year's weird production for some of these rookies versus the hype that's going on for some of these true rookies in 22, uh, their draft profiles. Um, I would just caution you when it comes to the wide receiver position this year. But um, that's pretty much it for the wide receiver position. Going on to the tight end position, this one is just an easy-peasy type of thing. <clears throat> There's truly only three tight ends from last year's class that have any type of note in my overall rankings compared to this year's class. Um, everyone else is on the tail end, and it's pretty much exclusively dominated by the 2022 tight end class. Number one overall at the tight end position between the two classes should be no shock to anyone. It's Kyle Pitts, elite, not even going to get into ranking him compared to the other guys. <clears throat> Number two for me was a pretty good battle. It's a guy that has a very similar athletic profile, very similar collegiate production profile as a guy that's at number three. Number two for me is Pat Fryermuth. I liked him a lot. I just didn't see the breakout and touchdowns that we associated with him in 2021, his rookie season. That came a lot at the foot of Eric Ebron getting injured early. Um, Pat Farmuth really didn't see a lot of the field early on in last year. As soon as Eric Ebron got hurt, you started seeing a massive spike in his snaps, and then it was just all uphill from there to where he started seeing production game in, game out. And that shouldn't have been a shock as soon as Eric Ebron did go down because Big Ben's arm was shot, and that is what it is. But from an athletic standpoint, coming out of college, they're very similar. Production, very similar. Um, they play a similar way, too. They're an all-around tight end that can do everything that you want to. Um, Pat Fryer, the reason he gets the nod over a guy like Trey McBride, who is my number three tight end in this exercise, is the blocking. Um, Pat Fryer is just a, a better blocker overall, and that's why I have him higher. <clears throat> like I said, number three is Trey McBride. Excuse me, my voice is dead. I'm taking a sip. Oh, that was necessary. Thank you. Um, but yeah. 
<clears throat> number three for me is Trey McBride. He has a very, very high ceiling if he lands in an open spot. Specifically, everyone um, likes to talk about it, and I talked about it in a couple of pods, but for me, if he lands in New York, that's the perfect spot for him to just get funneled in a similar way to a guy like Jeremy Shockey <clears throat> when he came into the league. I just think it could be an elite landing spot for a tight end, and realistically, his value is going to skyrocket. But prior to the draft, I have him higher than pretty much anyone else in last year's class a short of the two studs from last year's class. And that's just because he's a little bit worse of a blocker than a guy like Fryermuth. <clears throat> Number four for me, once again, sticking with the 2022 class is Charlie Kohler out of Iowa state. I still think he might be the best overall back or not back. Sorry. Tight end uh, over the last two years, two years, just when it comes to blocking and receiving and doing everything that you need to, I think he's probably going to have the longest career out of any of them, just based on the fact of like wear and tear and the type of play style that they do. Realistically, wouldn't be shocked if he had like a Jason Witten type of career, not as elite production early on, I will mind you, but a guy that just plays into his mid to late 30s and just is semi-productive on your fantasy rosters. You can rotate in late <clears throat> and often, and if he gets any type of draft capital, I'm going to be pretty high on him going in. Number five for me is a guy that is very similar to a guy like Charlie Kohler, and that's Hunter Long at a Boston College from last year in 2021's class. Uh, people are forgetting about him, but most of his rookie season was immediately hampered due to a preseason injury that basically took away and put him on IR for the entire year. <clears throat> very excited still to see what he can do. The only thing that concerns me for his upside now is the overall injury and the lack of targets he's going to get with this crowded receiving core now. But coming out, I liked him a lot. The Miami landing spot wasn't great um, when he came out, and that's why he dropped in my rankings prior to last year's start of the season. <clears throat> but in the draft prospect looks prior to the draft, prior to landing spot, I like him more than pretty much anyone else in this class. And I like him quite a bit higher. This is kind of where the tier drops off um, when it comes to a prospect analysis standpoint for me <clears throat> when you're looking at the other guys. They're all project, uh, projections at the next level, and I didn't think that Kolar from this year or Hunter Long were true projections. I just thought that they were going to be good. They had good athletic profiles. They do have good athletic profiles, and they're all around very good blockers and sound blockers. Uh, going into tight end six is Mr. Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina in the 2022 class. Um, he might be the best blocker. <clears throat> yeah, he he might be the best blocker in the last two classes. Um Pat Fryermuth is probably the only player that is close to him between the two classes at the tight end position. But the amount of run schemes that they had to do <clears throat> in Coastal Carolina with that weird offense with him, he was blocking all of the field as an outside, rece outside receiver in the slot, attached to the line, you name it, he was blocking it. And when you're looking at his athletic profile, he has maybe the second best athletic profile behind only Pitts in this tight end group. Um, he's going to be a fun piece, and if he lands in a good spot, he's going to skyrocket probably on this list and in my overall rankings, even though for me, he's still tight end three in this year's class. <clears throat> Number seven overall at the tight end position for me is Mr. Greg Dolchich out of UCLA. Um, athletic profiles there. He's a very, very large guy, and he's a true move tight end. Um, he's what you project to hopefully be like a guy like Travis Kelsey, um, but he's raw and he's not quite as athletic as people were hoping to him to having not flamed out at the combine, but just not being as athletically touted as a lot of the analysts thought he was going to be. Number eight is Mr. Brevin Jordan. Uh, I actually comp Isaiah likely to a more 
well-rounded and a better blocking version of Brevin Jordan. So if he gets midday, you know, draft capital, like I was saying, I'm going to like him quite a bit more post NFL draft as well. But Brevin Jordan going into last year's draft was the most fascinating. He was kind of that tweener, smaller type tight end, like an Irv Smith was and is with the Minnesota Vikings right now. So I'm excited to see what he does in year two. But right now he's solidly in the middle of the tier, the middle tier of the Isaiah likely Greg Dolchis and Brevin Jordan is its own tight end tier for me. Um, so going on to number nine, I have Mr. Jeremy Ruckert. He's the enigma of this entire tight end group. <clears throat> he could be a lot higher or a lot lower, depending on where he goes and how likely he is to see the field early in his career. Um, he's a lot of projection, which again, you don't like projection. I don't like projection. That's why he is barely inside the top 10 tight ends of the last two years. <clears throat> and that's why I have him where he is. I just think that his upside at this point is significantly higher than any of the guys that are behind him. And that's why I have him ranked where he is. Number 10 at the tight end position is Drake Ferguson. Jake Ferguson is a do-it-all tight end. He can do literally anything that you want him to do. He's a much better pass catcher, apparently, than a lot of people think <laughs> that he is. Um, but I'm I'm, I'm just very intrigued to see where he's going to land and if he gets any type of upside. Um, it, it, we're getting in the range of the tight ends where I don't think any of these guys are really going to succeed to the next level or be true contributors unless something breaks perfectly their way post-draft. And so for Jake Ferguson, he's probably going to be a good rotational player, maybe a fill-in later on down the road, but I don't see any true tight end upside for fantasy's sake. Number 11 in this exercise is Trey McKitty, um, athletically gifted and a large guy. Um, he just, he didn't wow me. He didn't have a lot of production. He was an okay blocker. He was an average pass catcher. He was just a big athlete. Um, I comped him to a guy like Donald Parham last year. And he kind of just does that middling work of a tight end two to tight end three on an offense. Um, that's pretty much what we saw his rookie year. But looking at pre-draft, I didn't have him very high last year's class. And he's at the tail end of this exercise. So it tells you what I think about him. <clears throat> the last and final player on this entire list is the guy that basically battles a guy like Isaiah Likely for that number two blocking scheme um, tight end. And that's Jaleel Billingsley out of Alabama. Um, he is an elite blocker. He's a big man and he does what he needs to do, but he is a minus in the pass game, which for fantasy's sake doesn't do a lot. It's just, he's the only player that I really, really like. Um, and you could hopefully project him to get a little bit more. He'll be on the field quite a bit. So you're hoping it's like a Tyler Conklin type of situation where maybe he has a year or two where he gets to fill in, be the pass and the blocking scheme tight end due to an injury. And maybe he can be a contributor, but he's at the tail end of the list. Um, this one, when you look at the percentage of 22 players for the tight end position, it's actually over 65% of this year's class. So this tells me short of the top two guys from last year's class, the depth in this year's tight end class with potential for your fantasy teams is quite a bit higher. And I, that's why I like it quite a bit more than some of the other classes that we've seen over the last couple of years. But I just think once you hit that middle tier ending in about Brevin Jordan, Jeremy Ruckert right in there, it's pretty much all just crap shoots at the tight end position. You're just holding on to players. Um, there will be some hype train players per usual, i.e. a guy like Kyle Granson was last year that I won't get on board with just because uh, he can hype up tight ends as much as you want to. But until you see it on the field, it really means nothing. Um, but yeah, so you're looking at this and these are my breakdowns. Um, it was pretty even splits, but there are significantly more 2021 players that I have ranked higher than it is 2022 players. Um, basically if you look at the quarterback running back and wide receiver positions <clears throat> out of the total 12 players that could be in my top four of each of those, there's only one player from 
this year's class that's in the top four, and that's Brees Hall at his respective position. So that just tells you where I'm looking at at my pre-draft analysis prior to draft ranking and how that can change going into the season after the draft. So a lot of these guys are going to be landing spot dependent. Um, I think that is kind of a trap that we like to fall in <clears throat> when it comes to being fantasy analyst and fantasy players. So I just want to use this exercise to kind of caution you that from a pure like standpoint perspective, you can be very off on picks like I was with a guy like Jalen Waddle. You can be very on with picks like I was with like a Davis Mills or a Devonta Smith or an Elijah Moore. And I'll just caution you not to get caught up in trading for 2022 picks in this last month prior to the NFL draft, especially if you're giving up young players, even from last year as a discount. Um, I mean, I've been scooping up players from last year's class that didn't perform as well as they want to. I've acquired four shares of Rashad Bateman over the last month. He's my favorite target right now, just because even in that offense, it may not be great, but he was injured for a large portion of last year. He was separating at an elite level and he was still the highest QBR when passing to him on the entire Ravens team, including in comparison to a guy like Mark Andrews. So I'm just huge on acquiring guys at a discount where if I can flip a Rashad Bateman, if I can get a Rashad Bateman plus for a late end first, if a guy like Jameson Williams who goes to, we'll call it Tennessee, goes to Tennessee, um, I'm doing that immediately. Uh, I mean, with that, without even questioning it, uh, just because I think at the end of the day, you're probably still going to get a safer floor in a guy like Rashad Bateman. The age difference is laughable. Jalen Jameson Williams is a little bit older than Rashad Bateman still is right now. And there's just an equal upside to the two players. So um, my suggestion, if you can flip away those late firsts for the, guys in last year's class that were late firsts and or early seconds in order to increase your overall capital, I would be making those moves. Uh, but this has been a fun exercise, guys. It's a good little idea. It also gave you a little bit of an insight into my overall 2022 rankings based off of where they are prior to the NFL draft. Um, <clears throat> this is pretty much how they're going to set Pat. I'm going to be doing a couple episodes leading up to the NFL draft. Obviously, this will be dropping three weeks prior. So we've got two more before it. So I have another episode where I'll be releasing my overall rankings at each position prior to the NFL draft. That will be my last go-to rankings that'll stick like that until I do my deep dive analysis going into training camp um, with the post-draft landing spots and the cutdowns and everything like that because there's really no point in doing it otherwise. And then I'm going to be having an episode doing kind of an ECR episode where I'm going through expert consensus rankings, um, both of the DWZ team as well as myself in comparison to some of the larger <clears throat> media markets out there, um, the big name guys, as well as even looking at like some of the big fish, like the uh, Mayox and the, uh, why am I blanking on the other guy? You know who I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> McShay, there you go. Um, but doing comparisons in that capacity, just to see if there's any players that maybe we have a different opinion on, or to see if there's any players that we might want to write down names of and check out post-draft to see if anyone has drastically changed their opinion now that they're in a better spot, even though we had them ranked higher than consensus. So it's an exciting exercise, and it's one of the funner ones to do. Like I said, I want to take a step back <clears throat> over this next month now that we've been doing deep dives into the rookie analysis to truly get a look of where our biases are coming in, um, where my biases are coming in so that I'm not overreacting to draft landing spots or draft 
day trades that I may receive for players in last year's class or in this year's class. Um, so it's just a fun little exercise that I was doing, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. And hopefully um, if you have any complaints or agree with me, you will let me know. As always, if you're not a part of the DWZ Patreon, you should be. It's a fun place to be. Uh, flat rate, tons of content, tons of individual conversation in the group chat on a regular basis. And then you get to hear my sultry voice all the time on multiple different DWZ Network podcasts, including the Patreon episodes. Um, so as always, this has been the Rookie Rundown. Hopefully you learned a little bit more about the prospects and how to assess this class compared to last year's class. And hopefully you're as excited about the 2022 NFL Draft as I am. Until next week, as always, I have been your host, Dallas. Have a great week. When we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. We won a game yesterday. And if we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak.